minister for this morning. His name is Will Nettleton. And if you look in your bulletin, I've always wondered why he only spelled Will with one L. But his name is not William, it's Wilson. Wilson Nettleton grew up in Tupelo, Mississippi. Went from there to Ole Miss, where he was an Ole Miss rebel, and was very involved in RUF. He graduated from there and went to the University of North Carolina, where he was also involved in RUF as an intern. And that is where he met his wife, his wife, his life, his wife, Mary. Mary, do you want to wave just for a second? That's where he met Mary. She was an intern at William and Mary at the same time. So they got married, and then he became a student at RTS in Jackson, Mississippi. That's Reform Theological Seminary. He got his MDiv there in May of 17. So he's been in San Antonio a little over a year as, you guessed it, RUF minister at Trinity University. In addition to loving RUF, Will and Mary love football, Ole Miss football to be particular, North Carolina basketball, their dog Charlie. And if you can pass for a student, he'll take you to lunch. Man, that was awesome. You did all that from memory. That is good work. <laughs> oh, you had a card. Okay. I was about to be very, very impressed. Well, I am Will Nettleton. I'm the RUF Campus Minister at Trinity uh, University in San Antonio, Texas. For those of you who don't know what uh, RUF is, RUF is our church's, our denomination's college uh, campus ministry. So our denomination decided back in the 1970s that college campuses were such a unique and strategic context that we needed not to wait on college students to come to us. We needed to go to them. And so we started sending ministers to the campus. We're on over 150 campuses. Uh, across the nation, including Trinity and UTSA uh, nearby, and you guys are a partner church of ours. So I, I hope if you hear me say nothing else uh, this morning, thank you. Uh, thank you for supporting our work. Thank you for praying for us. Um, if you don't get our email updates and you'd like to get those, please see me afterwards. We can get you signed up. We'd love to do that. And uh, we are always looking for more folks uh, to pray and partner with us. So we'll be glad to talk to you about that uh, after the service. But if you've got a Bible, you can turn it to Ephesians. You guys have been looking uh, at the book of Ephesians, and we are looking at chapter 3 this morning. I believe it's also printed in your bulletin, and we'll be looking at verses 14 through 21. Uh, how many of you ever, how many of you watch shows like Top Chef or Chopped? Do you know what I'm talking about? The cooking competition shows? Or at least familiar with the idea. They have these, they have these celebrity chefs that come in. They don't know what the ingredients are going to be. They you know, rip off the tablecloth and there it is, some absurd, exotic thing that they've got to go make a dish out of. They have like 30 minutes to cook up a dish or whatever. And every now and then the ingredient is so absurd, it's so uh, expensive or rare or what have you that the chefs get really, really excited. It's like white truffles from the moon or something like that. You know, it's just bizarre. Uh, and they get really excited with it because they don't get to work with it normally in their everyday uh, job. That's a little bit how I feel about Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. We are um, at a high watermark in the Scriptures. Uh, every single phrase of this passage could be its own sermon. Uh, you, could spend, you could spend a lifetime dwelling here and never plumb the depths of this passage. There's a lot here. So I feel a little bit like one of those chefs, though I am more of a uh, McDonald's line cook than a chef. Uh, but we've got good ingredients to work with this morning. So with that in mind, let me uh, turn our attention to God's Word. And before I do that, let me pray and uh, we'll ask Him to join us by His Spirit. Our great God and Heavenly Father, we do ask you now that you would send your Holy Spirit 
to be with us. You've promised that where two or more of us are gathered in your name, that you would join us. And so we are asking you to keep that promise this morning. Lord, I pray uh, that your word, as you've promised, would not go out uh, void, but it would return to you having accomplished the purpose uh, that you've given it this morning. Pray the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Grass withers and the flowers fall, but God's word endures forever and ever. Okay, one more TV show reference. How many of you watch Antiques Roadshow? Anybody, any fans? Oh, we've got a few fans on PBS. General premise again, people bring these possessions, things that have been laying around their house. And my favorite part of Antiques Roadshow is um, when people will show up and they're kind of snooty and they've got this item that they just know is very valuable. It's like a vase, but they insist on pronouncing it vase. And they show up with it and they're like, they just know. They know it's going to be very, very valuable, and they get there, and it's junk, and it's nothing, and you kind of get to stick it to those people. But the more fun part of Antiques Roadshow is when someone, someone humble shows up with something that they've had in their house, and they're really not sure how valuable it is, and they get there, and it blows the appraisers away because it is of extraordinary value. One of the famous uh, episodes is of a guy, um, I think his name is Ted. He's from Tucson, Arizona. He shows up with this Navajo blanket that he inherited from his grandmother. And uh, he's not sure how much it's worth. He knows it's kind of old, uh, but he thinks it might have some historical relevance. And so he shows up, and the appraiser is talking him through how, how valuable this blanket is. And he says, Ted, did you realize that when you walked in, like my breath kind of caught? A little bit. And he was like, yeah, I did kind of notice um, that, you know, you were surprised by the blanket. And he said, Dad, how, do you have any sense of what this blanket might be worth? And uh, he says, no, you know, I, I know it's old. That's all I know. And he says, Ted, are you, a, are you a wealthy man? Do you have a lot of money? And Ted kind of laughs. He's like, no, no, I, I don't have a lot of money. And he says, Ted, this, this blanket on a bad day is worth $350,000 in the condition that it's in. And on a good day, it might be worth half a million. And Ted just is overcome with emotion. He he begins to cry. And he says, that that blanket was just sitting on a chair in my grandmother's house. It It was just sitting there. I had no idea that it was worth that much. And the appraiser tells him, Ted, this is, this is a national treasure. This blanket is of extraordinary value. It's amazing to have things like that, right? Things that are under our noses, things that have become perhaps too familiar, uh, things that we forget or perhaps never knew were of such extraordinary value. 
I wonder this morning if the love of Christ might not have some similar effect on you. As we read uh, the passage that Paul just wrote uh, for us, that he wrote to the Ephesians, we cover a very familiar topic, that Jesus loves us. Very familiar to you probably, even if you're not a Christian this morning, this idea that Jesus loves you. And yet I wonder if even under our noses this entire time, we might not have something that is far more valuable than we ever could have imagined. So we're going to reflect this morning on the love of Christ. Uh, Before we do that, I'm going to do a little bit of introduction, kind of at least frame out the passage for us, and then look at a couple of ideas uh, that Paul has about the love of Christ for us. So for the entire letter to the Ephesians so far, Paul has been unpacking, you know this if you've been here, Paul's been unpacking the beauty of God's grace in the life of the Ephesians. He's been talking about the realities of of the Christian faith. Uh, He's talked about how God has given them new life in Jesus that He's united them to Christ, that He's brought them into the kingdom of God, the visible expression of which is His church. Paul's talking about all these glorious glorious truths. And then the rest of Ephesians, from here on out, is going to be Paul applying those truths. Okay, if those things are true, how are we supposed to live in light of those things? And he covers a lot of ground. How are we supposed to live at home? How are we supposed to work? How are we supposed to deal with spiritual attacks? But in chapter 3, Paul pauses briefly uh, to pray. To pray for the Ephesians. And in our section, he prays that they might know the love of Christ. Um, He... He gets into it in verse 1. Look back at, or excuse me, verse 14. Our passage is a prayer. Paul says, for this reason. And there he's referencing everything he's already written in the first couple of chapters about God's salvation. He says, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father. He's praying for the Ephesians. And then in verses 16 through 19, he actually unpacks the goal of this prayer. Uh, theologian and commentator John Stott compares these couple of verses to a stepladder in which each phrase builds upon the one that came before it. So back at verse 16, Paul says that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Uh, Step one, Paul's praying that God may grant us to be strengthened with power through His Spirit. Why? So that, verse 17 starts, Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So step two, after being strengthened by the Holy Spirit, Christ can dwell in our hearts through faith. Why? Paul goes on, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints. What is the breadth and length and height and depth? And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Okay, so three steps there. On step three, after being strengthened by the Holy Spirit to have Christ dwell in our hearts through faith, we have what we need to know the love of God and to be filled with all the fullness of God. That's Paul's ultimate goal in this prayer. The thing that everything else builds to, that we might be filled with all the fullness of God. Which is a crazy thing, right? That we would be filled with all the fullness of God. How could such a thing even be possible? How could that even happen to us? And Paul seems to mean there that we might know as much of God as we possibly can. It's worth noting how Paul uses uh, this word full and fullness throughout Ephesians. In chapter 1, verse 23, uh, he says, The church is the fullness of Jesus who fills all in all. Chapter 4, verse 10, he says that Jesus ascended above all heavens that he might fill all things. 
So when Paul says the ultimate goal of this prayer is that we might be filled with the fullness of God, in some sense what he means is that we might have the fullest possible relationship with Jesus Christ. That we might have the fullest possible relationship with Jesus. That you might know Jesus as deeply as you possibly can. So let me just pause for a moment and ask you, do you want that? Do you want to know Jesus as deeply as you possibly can? And how would that even go? How would, how would you even go about doing that? How does that happen? I think Paul gives us the answer in this passage. I think it happens as you grow in your understanding of the love of Jesus. Uh, in other words, the depth of your relationship to Jesus is directly related to how much you know, experience, and enjoy the love of Jesus for you. The depth of your relationship with Jesus is intimately connected to how much you understand that He loves you. So I want us to look at three aspects of that love of Christ for us in this passage. One, the security of Christ's love. The community of Christ's love. And the infinity of Christ's love. I got all itties there. The security of His love, the community of His love, and the infinity of His love. Preachers work really hard at that. We went to school for three years to be able to do that. So we got we got to point it out when we get it done. So let's start with the security of Christ's love in verse 17. Look back there. Paul starts, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. Paul uses that language of, of something being anchored down. Being rooted and grounded in Christ's love. And I think this is one sign of Christian maturity. One sign that you're growing in your understanding of Jesus' love for you is that you are anchored down and rooted in that love. It anchors your entire life, in fact. Uh, I've been struck this past week as uh, all of these, or really the past few weeks, as these hurricanes have come through the East Coast and then up in the Gulf to Florida. You know, there are always those images that they show, the weather reporters that for some insane reason have driven down there and are in the midst of the hurricane, and they're, you know, almost being blown over. And in the background are these trees that are seeming to bend in the wind. And whenever they come back to survey the destruction, it's crazy to me that there are buildings that have been, there's all kinds of damage, buildings that have been uprooted, there's cars in the middle of the street, and yet these trees have not been uprooted. They stay the same, in spite of all this colossal damage. Why is that? Uh, For many of these trees, they've been sinking their roots down slowly, day by day, for generations. Some of these trees are hundreds of years old, and when the storms come, they stand fast. That's the language that Paul is using about our understanding of the love of Christ. That we're rooted down in it. We're grounded in it so that when the storms of suffering and loss come through, we're able to stand fast. For those of you who are like me who are younger, I think one of the applications of this passage is that we ought to get to know older Christians. uh, People who have been in this faith for a long time. People who have weathered some storms and who can tell us about what it's like to experience God's faithfulness over the long haul. Um, I think it's one of the most beautiful things about knowing my grandmother. I'm amazed at the simplicity of my grandmother's faith. And yet there's something deep there. There's something so... uh, Ancient and rooted there. She knows the steadfast love of Jesus. One of my favorite verses is from the Psalms. It's Psalm 37.25 where the psalmist writes, I have been young and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken. What an epitaph that would be. I would love to be able to say that on my deathbed, that I was young and now I am old and I've never seen the righteous forsaken. Um, We ought to tell one another the stories of God's faithfulness. 
to us. It's how we grow deeper in our love and understanding of Jesus' love for us. So there's the security of Christ's love. It anchors us. But Paul also addresses the community of Christ's love. If you look back at verse 18, he says that they may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. So Paul says that the love of Christ is something that we have to be strengthened to comprehend with all the saints. Now, by saints there, Paul doesn't mean super-Christians or people that have been canonized. He just means Christians. He starts this letter to the saints in Ephesus. What does he mean there? Just the people who are at the church in Ephesus. So if you're a Christian, when Paul talks about saint, he means you. You may comprehend with all the saints the love of Christ. Paul's saying there's a communal element to understanding the love of Christ. If you want to grow in your experience of the love of Jesus, you're going to have a really hard time doing that by yourself. You actually need to do it with other people. We grow better together. Um, in fact, we, we have to have each other. There are no Lone Ranger Christians. We can't follow Jesus by ourselves. Um, tomorrow I've heard uh, from the Weather Channel that it is finally going to cool down, uh, which I'm still, we're a year and a half in, I'm still adjusting to this Texas heat, uh, by which I mean I'm grieving it all the time. I am not used to it at all. Uh, but we are almost, almost to fire pit season, uh, where we can sit out in our backyards, uh, put, some, put some logs in the fire pit, and sit around and enjoy one another's company. Imagine having a great fire going in your fire pit, You've got all the logs burning, and you pull one of those logs out to burn by itself. How long does that fire keep going versus the, the fire that's in the fire pit? Paul's saying there's something similar about the Christian life. That we grow, we burn hotter, we burn brighter together. We need each other. Uh, we grow in our experience and knowledge of Christ's love uh, together. So what that means for you this morning, perhaps one practical application. I'm not the pastor here, so I get to say this. One possible application for you might be to join this church. If you've been visiting here for a while, if you've been kind of sniffing around trying to figure out if this is going to be your community or not, why not join? Why not jump into this community? Uh, Experience Christ's love with these people. Commit to being here. You can't do it by yourself. The love of Christ is a communal thing. We do it uh, together. Uh, David Clarkson's an old English Puritan. He has a great sermon on coming together to worship on Sundays. And uh, he says this, prepare yourself for some very Puritan language here. He says, The Lord engages Himself to let forth, as it were, a stream of His comfortable, quickening presence to every particular person that fears Him. But when many of these particulars join together to worship God, then the several streams are united, and they meet in one, so that the presence of God, which enjoyed in private, is but a stream, in public becomes a river. You see the imagery that he's painting there of these different streams that come together as a river on Sunday mornings. A river that makes glad the city of God. Using a different image, he says, The Lord has a dish for every particular soul that serves Him. But when many particulars meet together, there is a variety, a confluence, a multitude of dishes. The presence of the Lord in public worship makes it a spiritual feast. A spiritual feast. He says, the love of Christ, you do have an individual relationship with Jesus. I hope you do. You know Him in your heart. uh, And you enjoy the benefits of that relationship. But when the church gathers, the love of Christ is to be shared. 
It becomes a spiritual feast as we gather together. Um, Do you have Christians that know you well? Do you have people that you've let into your life um, that can point you to the love of Christ? Do you do that for other people? Do you have anyone for whom you are the billboard pointing to Jesus and His love for them? This church might be a great place for you to begin those kind of relationships. Okay, so we have the security of Christ's love. We have the community of Christ's love. One more, the infinity of Christ's love. Look back at verses 18 and 19. Uh, Paul writes that you may have the strength to comprehend together with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth. To know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. You can almost feel Paul getting carried away, can you not? You can see him getting going. He just starts throwing word after word in there. And he wants us to realize how truly boundless the love of Jesus is. How limitless it really is. Uh, When I was a kid, one of my favorite games to play with my parents, uh, parents, some of you probably do something like this with your kids, but my parents would say, I love you, and I would say, I love you more. And they would say, well, I love you more. And then we would just go back and forth, right? I love you a million. I love you a billion. I love you infinity. I love you infinity plus one. Right, and that's where it kind of stops because we've broken the rules of math at this point. So we've got to bring it back down a notch. I love you, infinity plus one. Um, Paul is doing something like that, that Christ's love is limitless. There's something boundless about it. It surpasses knowledge. Um, I love the way that Sally Lloyd-Jones, she's the author of the Jesus Storybook Bible. Uh, if you don't have that, you should pick it up. But I love the way that she describes God's love. She calls it God's never-stopping Never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. I love that. God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. That's exactly right. It's exactly what Paul means by this. There is a limitlessness to God's love. We could spend time unpacking each of Paul's words there about height and depth and breadth and all that. And I wish that we had time uh, to do that together and explore their significance. But I'll just pick out one, because there's one that stood out to me as I was uh, reading this passage, and it's depth. Jesus' love goes deep. Um, I can't remember if I told this story last time I was here, but I grew up in a Southern Baptist church in Mississippi. And uh, in Tupelo, Mississippi, Elvis Presley was born there. Uh, that's our one claim to fame. Uh, there's nobody else famous from Tupelo. Um, but I, I grew up in this church where our pastor occasionally would call this audible, much to our music minister's chagrin, where we would be about to wrap up the service and he would say, Cut that last song. Let's all stand up. We're not going to do this. Nobody panic. Well, let's all stand up. Let's reach across the aisle. Let's hold hands. And let's sing, Jesus loves me. And we would do that. We would hold hands and we would sing, Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones do. So on and so forth. We did the whole thing. And as a teenager, I would think, this is so dumb. This is so dumb. Do we not have better songs than this, right? Do we not have richer hymns that we could sing? I know that we do. Uh, why don't we sing those? The older that I get, um, and the more of my sin that I see, the less stupid I think that that was. Um, because it, that is the hardest thing to believe in the world, is it not? That Jesus still loves you. That Jesus would love you after all these years of failure and sin. That Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. That the weak belong to Him. He is strong. 
a hard thing to stick with, a hard thing to continue believing. Um, the love of Jesus goes deep. That's Paul's point. Um, the love of Jesus goes deep. Wherever you are this morning, whatever you've done, um, wherever you find yourself with relationship to God, I hope you hear this. Jesus loves you still. You have not run so far that God cannot reach you where you are. God has not given up on you. Um, one of my favorite things, uh, one of the favorite insights that I learned in seminary, when you go to seminary, they make you take Hebrew and uh, Greek and learn how to read the Bible in the original languages, and it's a very fun trick to have at parties, I guess. But one of the things that I loved about uh, that insight was when we got to Psalm 23, we were reading that, and if you remember that, it's David's psalm, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And he gets to the end of that psalm, and it says, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And my Hebrew professor pointed out that that surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. That follow me is actually a really weak translation of that word. Um, the, the word. The Hebrew word there is actually a hunting word. It is tracking language. And so he said a, a better interpretation of that is surely goodness and mercy shall hunt me down all the days of my life. That is the depth of the love of Jesus. That wherever you are this morning, how far you may have wondered, how bad you may think you are, the goodness and the mercy of God will hunt you down. Not His anger, not His wrath, His goodness and His mercy and His love for you. Have you experienced the depth of the love of Jesus Christ? Do you know how much He loves you? One of the ways I think you can know that you are growing in the faith is that when Jesus says, I love you, you can actually respond, I believe you. I believe you. I know that that's true. You've proven that over and over and over again. Um, do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus loves you? Some of you this morning are like the father in Mark's gospel who brings his son to Jesus to be healed. He's demon-possessed. And he says to Jesus, if you can do anything, have compassion on us. And Jesus responds, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. And I wonder if you remember what the father says in that moment. The father says to Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. Perhaps the most honest words that any Christian has ever spoken in their life. I believe... Except they don't. Help me. Help me, Jesus. That's the tension for all of us. Um, Because as as I talk about going deeper into the love of Jesus, as I ask, do you believe Jesus loves you? Many of you are like me. I do. Except when I don't. Right? Except when I forget. Except when I slip back into sin and believe that maybe this time God really will just give up. And he'll just say, that's it. I've got to cut my losses here. How much longer can I keep going after this person? Um, and we want, to know, we want to know Jesus more, and so what are our options at this point? Try harder? Do better? I actually think Paul gives us a better answer uh, in the passage. If you look back, and we'll finish up here, the last couple of verses in Ephesians 3. Uh, He gives us the answer. The power to love Jesus better actually doesn't come from us. It comes from God. Look at the way he brackets this prayer. Verse 16, he says that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. Okay, then skip down to verse 20. He says, Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. 
What power is Paul talking about there when he says, according to the power that is at work within us? Our power? No. So my God's power that is at work within us. Paul wants us to grow in the love of Christ. How is that going to happen? God is going to do it. God is going to do it in us. According to the riches of His glory, He's going to strengthen us with the power through His Spirit. He's able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. I think this can be really hard for most people to believe. Most of us think of God as when He's calling us to love Him more or to be obedient. We can think about it like when the government does an unfunded mandate. Have you ever heard of this? Like when the federal government will issue an unfunded mandate. Essentially what it means is they're asking local authorities to do something, but but the federal government's not going to provide the money for it. And so the big question is, who's going to pay for this? And that can be what it likes, what it's like to be a Christian. You can feel like, well, God's calling me to be like Jesus, but where are we going to get the resources to do that? How are we actually going to pull that off? And Paul says, no, no. God has the power to work this in us. He's able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. So how do we get him to do that? We do what Paul is doing here. I mentioned this at the beginning, but this entire passage is a prayer. Paul is praying this on behalf of the Ephesians. And so, if you want to know Jesus better, if you want to have all the fullness of God dwelling in you, if you want to experience that, have you asked Him for it? That's what Paul's encouraging us to do. Pray. God can do more than we ask or think, abundantly more. If you want to know Jesus better, if you want to experience Him more fully, ask Him. Pray and ask to receive that from Him. Go further up and further in. That's the language um, from C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia. I don't know how many of you have read that, but the last battle finishes uh, Jewel the Unicorn, which I just noticed driving over here that New Braunfels High School's mascot is the unicorns. I don't know how that slipped past me, but that's amazing. It's a great, great mascot. Jewel the Unicorn in the last battle, the last Narnia book, they passed into Aslan's country. The world has passed away. It's basically Narnia's version of heaven. And she says this, I have Come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I have been looking for all my life, though I never knew it till now. Come further up. Come further in. And then C.S. Lewis breaks in and he writes this, talking about Aslan. He says, And as he spoke, he no longer looked at them like a lion. But the things that began to happen after that were so great and so beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. And now at last, they were beginning chapter 1 of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever and ever, and which every chapter is better than the one before. That is the invitation that Paul has for us this morning, to experience the love of Christ in a way that we go further up and further in, that we never outgrow it. This is what we will spend eternity doing. That's what Paul. That's how Paul finishes. He says, To Jesus, to Him, be the glory in the church, us, and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Forever and ever. Growing in the love of Christ. So let's start today. Let's pray and ask God to let us experience more of this love, that we might know the fullness of it. Amen. Let me pray for us. Oh, great God and Heavenly Father, we do pray that you would do that. We pray that you would work 
in us this love by Your Spirit. That You would strengthen us to be rooted and grounded in it, to comprehend with all the saints how high it goes, how deep it goes, how wide it goes, that Christ has loved us like this. Christ, we know, the author of Hebrews tells us that for the joy set before you endured the cross. And the only joy that you didn't have before the cross was us. All that was left was redemption for us. That you looked upon us and you endured the cross. God, would you help us to experience that love more fully, more deeply today? Might we grow in it. I pray for those here, perhaps, God, who do not know you, who are trying to evaluate whether this is true, whether this has anything to say to them. God, would you allow the love of Christ to wash over them this morning? If you are who you say you are, would you reveal that to them? Would you open the eyes of their heart that they might see you? And for the rest of us, God, would you help us to grow in your grace, to grow in your love, uh, that we might take it out into the world, and the world might be changed because of it. pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.